okay. Well, let me uh, let me pray for our preacher today, who is Frank. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Lord, thank you for this guy. Thank you for the blessing he is, Lord, to us, for the delight that he brings to you and to us. Thank you for the gift that you've put on him, Holy Spirit. We really want to honor that gift. Pray let it flow fruitfully today. We pray you would enjoy serving you, Lord, in an area that you've graced him for and that we'd be really built up as a church. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Coming through all right? Hear me? Great stuff. I wonder if you've um, ever been on the receiving end of abundant kindness, like over-the-top kindness. You can think of a story um, from my life. Um, my wife, Debs, um, she works for Amazon, and every now and again she flies out to Seattle um, to meet with the team over there. And a couple of years ago she was flying out there, and uh, it was early in the morning, sort of bid her a bleary-eyed goodbye, and off she went. Went down to Heathrow. Went to the check-in desk at Heathrow, passport, tickets, and they were like, um, we're really sorry, um, Mrs. Mayfield, um, but we've overbooked the flight and uh, there's no seats left. And she was like, what do you mean there's no seats left? I've, you know, I've got to get to Seattle for work. And they said, well, there's absolutely nothing we can do. We're really sorry. But here's £550 in cash. Go home, um, you know, sorry for the inconvenience, and we'll put you on the next flight the following morning, you should still be there in time um, for the working day the following day. So there she goes, 550 in the back pocket. I get a phone call later on that day. I thought it might be like, you know, the sort of runway phone call, love you, you know, wish me a safe flight, all the rest of it. But she's like, Frank, I'm on the way home. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, they overbooked the flight, couldn't get me on there. But they gave me 550 pounds in cash. Do you want to go out for dinner tonight? And if you know me, never want to turn down food, but free food, never going to turn down that. Well, paid for by someone else anyway. So we went out for a lovely meal that night, three-course meal, and we just sat there going, wow, this is incredible. We're on the end of such abundant, over-the-top kindness from British Airways. I'm just going to drop, drop that in there. <laughs> going to get commission for that. Now, funny little story, but as we were sat there, we were thinking... This is a really kind act, but it's also, it really pointed us to the kindness of God, because we were going through quite a tough spell in our marriage at that time, Um, and that extra night just to spend some quality time together over some great food, which we really enjoy, was actually a really great thing for us. And we were also struggling financially as well, so, you know, after we'd uh, knocked off the bill, we still had a good bit of, uh, you know, chunk of change left to spend on stuff that we really needed. So the kindness of British Airways ultimately pointed us to the kindness of God, who knows our needs uh, for our marriage and uh, for our finances. We've got the next installment of our David series today, um, and we're um, looking at a a passage which shows us the kindness of God. Um, If you've been around in the last few weeks, hopefully you'll really have benefited from this series. Uh, I think think it's been incredible, and you can listen to it uh, on the podcast if you want to fill in uh, what's gone before. So let me read the passage for you. Uh, If you've got a Bible, you can follow it along. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let me read it for us. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. 
And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the, ca- the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat on my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he, for he ate always at the king's table. Let me, um, let me just quickly pray for us before we, before we dive into this passage. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. I thank you that it is breathed out by you and it's useful for our um, righteousness and teaching. And thank you that we can sit under it today and learn more about ourselves and about you from it. Uh, I pray that you'd be with me now and I pray that you'd be with everyone here, that you give us ears to hear what you're saying uh, through this passage. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at this passage before. Um, It could look a little bit, I guess, on surface, like a bit of an obscure text. And you might think, you know, in the life of David with all the other, you know, amazing things that happened to him, this is maybe just a little bit of a side story. But hopefully as we sink into this passage, we're going to see that it's actually a very, very significant passage in, in 2 Samuel. Why? Well, because it shows us the heart of God. Namely, his kindness, one of his chief attributes. And what I want to do is use the story as a way of understanding ourselves better and understanding God better. Understand how Mephibosheth relates to us and look at how David's kindness points us to God. And then we're going to think about how that should impact our lives. So first of all then, let's look at Mephibosheth and think about how he relates to us. So the first thing to note about Mephibosheth is, is that he was a prince, but he was in exile. So if you read the, the, the story, Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson, and his father was a guy called Jonathan. Saul was the first king over the 12 tribes of Israel. So Mephibosheth should have had a really bright future. He should have inherited the entire kingdom and all that came with it, and had the honor of ruling that kingdom, and then growing the, the, you know, the house of Saul and spreading his fame uh, throughout the earth. But if you read what happened, 
His family was now in ruins. Saul and his father Jonathan had been killed in battle. And his, his, all his other brothers had either died in battle or been murdered. So his family was in tatters. And he was now in a little backwater called Lodabar, probably hiding, probably in exile, housebound. Hardly the life of a former prince. Now, like Mephibosheth, you and I, we've, we've got royal blood. What do I mean? Well, Genesis 1.27 tells us that we've been created in the image of God. And Acts 17.29 describes us as the offspring of God. So we've, we've been created for a huge calling. And not only did uh, God create us in his image, but originally our purpose was to rule and reign over his creation. That was our job, to rule over it and to, and to fill the earth with um, with, with, with children, with offspring, so that the image of God would be spread to the ends of the earth. That was our task. But if you read Genesis chapter 3, you'll see that Adam and Eve, the representative heads of humanity, basically shunned uh, that responsibility because they didn't want to come under the ultimate lordship of God. They weren't happy to rule on his behalf. They wanted to do everything their way, and they turned away from God. And it all unravels from there. So they begin to hide from God because they fear his judgment. And they're then banished out of his presence. Uh, and they begin, a, I guess, a life of exile. Spiritual nomads, unable to know God, cut off from his presence. Now, Mephibosheth directly suffered as a result of Saul's disobedience to God. That was, that was the, the root of everything that had gone wrong in Mephibosheth's family. Saul's disobedience. And with us we still suffer the results of that original disobedience from our, from our ancestors. So we live in a broken and fallen world, right? We know what it is to live in a fractured, broken, painful world. And though we see the image of God in each other every now and again, we get glimpses of it, we get glimpses of it in ourselves. What we could be, the overarching feeling is that everything is not quite as it should be. There's something wrong with our world. We still suffer the consequences of that original failure and disobedience. So the second thing that we should note about Mephibosheth is that he was suffering. So if you look at um, Mephibosheth's backstory in 2 Samuel chapter 4, he was five years old and his nurse was carrying him in her arms and she received the news that both Saul and and Jonathan had fallen in battle. And in in a blind panic to run away, fearing that they'd now come for Mephibosheth, As she was running away, she dropped him on the floor. And as he hit the floor, he was paralyzed in both his feet. Permanent paralysis in both feet. So you can imagine what that would have been like then for the rest of his life. In a a society with with no health care, with very, very limited infrastructure, life would have been really, really hard. Physically, very, very difficult. As we read, he's he's housebound. He can't do anything... um, to contribute to society. You can imagine how that would have made him feel, feelings of worthlessness, that he was letting people down. And it doesn't say it in the text, but we can also, surely we, we can infer the emotional pain as well. Literally, his entire family were pretty much dead. He was lonely, isolated. And you can just imagine, the, I guess, the, the sense of boredom and, and just depression and, and feeling of, you know, what is, what's my, the rest of my life going to look like in, in, the, in this scenario? Now, 
Like Mephibosheth, we all suffer, don't we? Life is really, really hard. Maybe some of us are suffering with bereavement. Perhaps some of us are are out of work and we're feeling that sense of worthlessness and what am I going to do? How am I going to contribute? Maybe some of us do feel really, really lonely and isolated. Maybe some of us are suffering not only physically but emotionally and mentally with mental illness and so on. Maybe if you're not currently feeling any of that yourself, I'm sure there's people close to you that, that are going through these types of things. And at some point, you know, we all do come up against, the, I guess, the reality of our, of our broken world, just like Mephibosheth. Thirdly and lastly about Mephibosheth, he expected judgment. Now, why did he expect judgment? Well, in that culture at the time, if a new king came to power who wasn't part of the previous royal family, the practice, and as brutal as it sounds, was to wipe out all the other descendants of that royal family so that there was, I guess, absolutely no possibility that any of the old um, royal family would then try and overthrow him and try and stab him in the back and, and take his throne. So that's why Mephibosheth's in hiding, fearful of David, thinking that he was out to get him. So imagine how he would have felt when he got the news that David was calling for him. Imagine that journey to David's palace. He must have thought he was on death row. He must have thought his hour had come. Like Mephibosheth, before God, we should expect nothing but judgment. Romans chapter 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, myself included, we fail to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we fail to steward our planet and take care of it. And as a result, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And when we, when we die, we'll face God and we'll look him in the eye and, and he'll, he'll ask us to give an account of the life that we've led. And we'll have no answer. And he'll be totally in the right to say, away from me. And assign us, you know, the rest of eternity outside of his presence. Let's let's move on now. Let's let's think about Mephibosheth, uh, sorry, let's think about David now. We've looked at Mephibosheth, we've looked at the similarities between his position and our position. Let's think about David now. Let's ponder how his kindness to Mephibosheth is a pattern of God's kindness to us. So first of all, David seeks out Mephibosheth. Okay? It's actually quite a difficult task. Imagine in an, an age without mobile phones and without, I guess, without you know, roll mail and so on. It's actually quite difficult to track someone down. So he'd managed to get hold of this Zebra guy, and he's like, Zebra, is there anyone left of you know, Saul's family? And he finally gets it out of him. And he tracks uh, Mephibosheth down in this place called Lodabar, which was a, a real sort of uh, obscure little place. It was only about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, but it was in this sort of mountain country on the other side of the River Jordan. So it doesn't sound very far away, but actually for that time, it was you know, a decent um, stretch away from where David was living in Jerusalem. So David sought him out. Didn't, he didn't stop at anything until he'd found this guy. And that's what God does for us. The Bible speaks of a God who takes the initiative who goes on the front foot, who comes looking for his people. In the person of Jesus Christ, he took on flesh, he left heaven, and he came into our broken world looking to seek us out. 
Jesus uses three pictures in Luke chapter 15 to illustrate this. The first is of a, is of a shepherd who loses a sheep and goes on a dangerous journey over the hills into the ravines looking for this lost sheep. The second picture is of an, an old woman who loses this precious coin and then goes around and sweeps the house looking in all the nooks and crannies trying to find this precious coin. And the third picture is of a father who has a long lost son and who every day go out onto the you know, front of his house and he'd look onto the horizon looking for this long lost son, scouring the horizon for him. And then one day he sees him and he runs towards him. And he weeps and he kisses him and he puts his arms around him and he welcomes him, him home. This is the heart of God. He's a God who seeks us out. People talk about finding God, but actually the Bible talks about a God who finds us. He steps in, takes the initiative, comes looking for us. Secondly, David shows kindness to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. So just a little bit again of the backstory. In 1 Samuel 20, David and Jonathan, who had this really amazing, intimate, close friendship, they meet together just before they're separated, and Jonathan says, swear to me, make a covenant with me, that you'll always show my family kindness. Swear to me, promise me. And David promises, makes this solemn oath, and says, I'll always show the kindness of God to your descendants. And that was a long time ago. And in the meantime, Jonathan's father, Saul, had basically gone after David time and time and time again to try and kill him. Maybe decades of, of, of this had gone by. But, but David's oath and the word that he'd said, it hadn't, hadn't been blunted by these years of, of, of difficulty. He, he'd refused to get bitter, refused to get hard-hearted, refused to let that love that he had for Jonathan dwindle in any way. And he's honoring his word. He's seeking out a member of Jonathan's household so that he could show him kindness on behalf of Jonathan. Now, for Christians now, for us, the New Testament repeatedly talks about how all of God's blessings are in Christ. Let me just read you a couple. At the beginning of 1 John, John writes, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. That's Jesus' name. Ephesians 1.6 Paul talks about the grace that God has freely given us in the one he loves. So everything we have is wrapped up in Christ. Mephibosheth showed, sorry, David showed Mephibosheth kindness for the sake of Jonathan because he loved him so much. God treats us like he treats Jesus. The love that he has for his one and only son is the same love that he lavishes out on us for the sake of, of Jesus. Thirdly, David gives Mephibosheth his lost inheritance. So David says, all the land and all the stuff that belonged to Saul, I'm now going to give to you, Mephibosheth. And not only does he do that, he recognizes that in his disabled state, he wouldn't have been able to do anything with that land. So what he does is, he gets Zeba and his sons and his servants and says, you look after the land, make sure it's fruitful, and everything that it produces, bring it in, give it to Mephibosheth so that he can reap the rewards of this land. Now, this was a hugely generous thing to do because everything belonged to David. He was the king. So all this land, by right of being the king of Israel, was all his. But he gave it all away, gave this land back to Mephibosheth. Again, the parallels with us are, are, are so stark. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Mephibosheth received some physical land for the rest of his earthly life. And obviously in death, he couldn't take any of that with him. But us as Christians, though we don't have any land that we can call our own now, we can't lay claim to any geographical place in the here and now, but God has given us an, inher- an eternal inheritance. And he's set aside the new heavens and the new earth that we might live there in safety and security in perfect relationship with God again and enjoy that not just for a fleeting earthly life but for eternity. And the last thing and probably the, probably the greatest act of David's kindness is that he invites Mephibosheth in and makes him like one of his own sons. Receiving all this land would have been a huge honor in that culture. Receiving land was a big, big deal in that culture. But to be invited to the table of the king, that was like the number one honor. It'd be like being invited into Buckingham Palace forever, to, to eat at the queen's table forever. That's, it's a big, big deal. And, it's, and it shows the completeness and the, I guess the, the all-encompassing uh, nature of David's kindness because he didn't just want to bless him and then send him away. Um, he wanted to have intimacy with him. He hadn't just blessed him materially. He wanted to bless him relationally. This is a lonely guy, a guy who'd been estranged from his family. He wanted to welcome him right back into a close family unit. He becomes like one of David's own sons. Imagine how Mephibosheth would have felt being invited all the way right back in forever? Are you going to eat with me at my table? You can just imagine the overflow of thanks from this guy. And for us as Christians, the Bible talks about the adoption of of God, the the fact that he's adopted us into his family. It's not just enough that he would forgive us. Well, it would be, sorry, it would be so much enough just to forgive us, just to say, "I've, I've set aside a place in heaven for you and leave it there. But he adopts us in. He makes us like his own sons and daughters. We are, hear this, we are the sons and daughters of the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the lord of lords. David's table would have been the safest place in the entire kingdom. God's welcomed us into that safety of relationship with him. Nothing can touch us. Even if physically we're wasting away, nothing can touch our our souls. Our, our, Our eternal destiny is so secure, isn't it? What's it look like to be at the table of God in the here and now? It's quite an abstract concept. What's it mean to be at his table? Well, in this life, it's, it comes in a spiritual sense through receiving the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, his job is to, is to, is to sort of press us into ever closer friendship and union with Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. Trying to help us to pray, to bear our hearts to him. Trying to knit us closer and closer to Jesus. What does the food look like? Well, he knows that we get beaten up and he knows that we get down and we feel jaded and we we feel like we can't go on. But he he nourishes our souls, the Holy Spirit. He gives us joy, he gives us hope, he gives us peace. He says, come on, you can do it. Back on your feet, let's go. Also, we've got communion as well, which is a very physical reminder of the fact that God's welcomed us to his table. When we take the bread and we drink the wine, we're reminded of of Jesus' body, which is broken, his blood, which was shed, uh, shed for us. It talks of what it cost God to bring us back to that table. And in, and in a very tangible way, we can remember that one day we'll eat with him in glory. Because that's, that's the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So one day, it won't just be a, a spiritual reality, it'll be a very physical reality. We'll, we'll actually see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ in all its radiant glory. Actually be able to physically live alongside him. Actually feast with him. The, the, the Bible talks of heaven as a feast, as a very real banquet. And we're going to be welcomed in to enjoy that. Debs and I turned 30 recently and we had this, we had this banquet. Um, and it was brilliant, but it was so fleeting. It was just over like that. And I just thought, and we were talking about this a couple of days later, and I said, Debs, wasn't that just a glimpse of heaven? Great friends, family around us, great food. Weather wasn't amazing, but forget about that. <laughs> and it was just such a, a t- tantalizing glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And it was over so fast, but one day it'll go on and on. on, and, on. Yeah. and we'll never have to leave that moment. We'll never never have to go back to work. We'll never have to go, well, we'll never have to go back to work that crushes into the ground, that, that, that runs us ragged. We'll never have to go back to broken communities where we, where we hear domestic violence. We'll never have to go back to a place where it's just been torn apart by drugs, torn apart by, by broken marriages. We won't have to go back to that. We'll be able to be welcomed into that peace and presence, that security forever. Praise God for that. Finally, we've looked at um, how we can relate to Mephibosheth. We've looked at how we can relate to God through, um, through what David shows us. Finally, how, does, how should it impact our day-to-day lives? So firstly, if you're a follower of Jesus, we should be perpetually thankful, ongoingly thankful for all the kindness that God showed us. Think about Mephibosheth. He's come in, he's expecting death, but he gets all this that he that he didn't expect. And his, his response is to fall over and pay homage to David. He spreads himself out and he says, I'm not worthy. Thank you so much for this incredible kindness. For us as Christians, we should want to, to worship God. We should want to, to fall at his feet and pay him, you know, pay him homage for, for all the great kindness that he's given us. We can do that on a Sunday by singing, but we can do it in, in the most mundane things. Just when we enjoy a glass of like freshly squeezed orange juice, just say, Jesus, thank you that you've created a world where I can enjoy this. Thank you that you've given me the taste buds to enjoy this. So it can happen in the mundane as well as in the sort of the big spiritual moments. Now, if you're like anything like me, sometimes your thankfulness wanes and sometimes you start to feel like you're entitled. And I think the reason why we maybe do this is because we forget what we rightly deserve before the throne of God Almighty. We forget that rightly because of the way we've lived our lives, we deserve judgment and nothing more. So in those moments, let's just remind ourselves. It would be, it'd be, it would be morbid to constantly think about it, but there's times where we have to bring it into the foreground so that all the things that God has given us are, like, gleam all the more brightly and more brilliantly so that we're perpetually thankful for what he's done for us. Secondly, don't disqualify yourself for receiving God's kindness. So, Mephibosheth's disability didn't stop David, did it? He would have been useless in that society, in all honesty. He wouldn't have been able to fight, and he wouldn't have been able to farm. And there wasn't, wasn't a fat lot else to do apart from those two things. He, was, he wasn't of any use to David, but it didn't stop him. 
David actually gave up an awful lot. It cost him an awful lot. He didn't receive anything back. But he did it simply because it pleased him to do so and because he made a promise to Jonathan that he would do it. Similarly with us, if we're Christians and we fail and we, and we consistently mess up and we think, surely, uh, you know, surely I've, I've blown it one too many times now. Surely, surely God can't continue to forgive me and continue to show me this kindness. Remember Mephibosheth. Remember that it, it pleased David to do it because of that oath that he'd given to Jonathan. It pleases God to con- continue to bless us because of his son Jesus Christ. Remember, everything we have is in him. So don't disqualify yourself from receiving God's kindness. Thirdly, if you know the kindness of God, it's only fitting to want to give it to others. David had received amazing kindness from God. God had looked after him so well. Right from a young age, even in the most difficult times when he was on the run, when Saul was trying to kill him, David had preserved his life, had kept him going, and now he'd made him the king. And he'd been given everything. He was ruling over Israel. All of his wildest dreams had come true. And he was so you know, overflowing with this thankfulness for what God had done that he just wanted to give it to others. It like bubbled out of him. He couldn't contain himself. He had to give it to Mephibosheth. And, that, and for us, you know, if we truly know the kindness of God, then it should really bubble over into you know, just being so open-handedly uh, kind to those around us. What does that mean? Well, obviously, we can do it in very practical ways. Can offer to make someone food who's just had a new baby so that they can concentrate on looking after their infant and they don't have to worry about cooking and washing up and all the rest of it. You can help people move house. We can financially bless people. We can volunteer and cap and food bank. Obviously, the list goes on, and I'm sure we could name many other ways that we could bless people. But let's not forget that the most kind thing we can do for someone is to either encourage them in the Lord Jesus if they're already a Christian, pray for them and encourage them, or if they don't know him, Tell, him, tell them about him. That's the kindest thing you can do for someone, right? I'm not saying that we shouldn't bless people in, in very practical ways. And I think what we're, things like Food Bank and CAP are you know, an amazing uh, demonstration of God's heart. But we need to tell people the spiritual reality of what they face without Jesus and all the things that they can come into so freely if they do put their trust in him. That's the kindest thing we can do um, for those around us. And lastly, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I'd like to encourage you to put your trust in in Jesus and receive this kindness that he's offering you. Imagine if you were a fly on the wall and Mephibosheth had gone into uh, the presence of David and David had said, giving you all this land, making sure everyone looks after it for you, welcoming you into my table, you're going to be like one of my sons, look at all this great food. Imagine what you'd do if Mephibosheth said, I'm all right, thanks, I'm going to go back to Lodabar. Wouldn't you just want to shake him? Just go, Mephibosheth, what are you doing? Do you not understand? Do you not understand what you're, what you're missing out on? I'd say to you, if you're not a Christian here, that you're doing the same thing if you say no to the offer of the kindness of the Lord Jesus. It's, it's a foolish thing to do. It really is. And I want, I want to in love say, don't do it. Don't, don't make that mistake. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's an easy thing to do. Think about Mephibosheth. He had to trust David that he wasn't just plotting to bring him really close, get him at the table so he could then stick the knife in. He might have still been thinking that. Mephibosheth might have been thinking, my life's still on the line here. I might not be truly safe. And he might have said, oh, I'm going to leave it. 
He had to put his trust in David. He had to, he had to think, this guy's promising me something, I'm going to trust him at his word. And in the same way, when you come to Jesus for the first time, you have to entrust your entirety to him. And that's a difficult thing to do. I really, I get that. But when you go all in and you say, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for, for, for dying for my sins. Thank you for rising again to give me new life. And I want to put my, my whole faith in you. I want to turn away from my old life and I want to live a new life in relationship with you. Then he will bless you beyond anything you could ever, ever dream and hope for. That's what the, the Bible says. And hopefully you've seen some of the stories in the room. You've seen the joy that we have when we sing these songs. It's real and tangible. We're not just doing it to, to, to mark the time. Think about the weather outside. There's a million and one things we could be doing if this is just marking the time. It, God has completely transformed our lives, given us a, a brand new destiny and a brand new hope. Um, so, yeah, I'd just love to in, encourage you, if, if you think this is the day that you'd like to do that, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Just, just, just say that to him. Maybe at the end of the service, just as we're singing again or as we're taking communion, just make that your prayer, Jesus I want to receive your kindness. Thank you for, for this salvation that you offer me. Uh, maybe tell someone that, you, that you've invited or maybe either speak to myself or Steph or someone else that, um, you know, that's a leader here and we'd love to you know, pray with you and help you to maybe make those first steps as a new Christian. Why don't I pray for us as we finish? Father God, thank you so much for this incredible story. Um, that just has so many parallels to our story in you. Thank you so much, Lord, that you sought us out. You went looking for us. You took the initiative. You left heaven, took on flesh, came to find us. Thank you so much, Lord, that you've forgiven our sins, uh, Lord, that you've wiped our slate clean, Lord. And thank you that that's so that you could then adopt us, that you brought us right into close union with you, that we know you so intimately. Thank you for the safety that we have in you. Thank you that nothing can touch us, nothing can separate us from you. Even if physically um, we're wasting away, spiritually we're being renewed day by day. Thank you that we can know intimacy with you through the Holy Spirit in this life. That we can know the hope, peace and joy that you offer and that you give. And Lord, we want to pay homage to you today. We want to worship you with our whole, our whole beings. We want to give you all that is due to your name. Thank you that you don't save us so that we are going to do loads of good stuff, Lord. Thank you that you lavish your kindness on us, even in our broken state. But you're making us more like you every day. Continue that work in us, Lord. Help us to become more and more like you as we grow in our knowledge of your love. And I do pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you. Lord, I really do pray that they would, they would think carefully about, about this amazing offer that you've, that you've freely given. And that just ask themselves what's holding them back, Lord. Just pray that, uh, that they would take that time, Lord, to think that through, Father. And that they wouldn't pass you up on that amazing offer that you give. So, Lord, be in our time now. Be in our time as we come to your table and we share communion. Thank you for that very real and tangible um, demonstration of what it costs to bring us to your table and the closeness that we have with our brothers and sisters and with you. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.